Hello, and welcome to the Extension Experience Podcast with your hosts, Josh Bouchong, Trent Malachik, and Dana Zook. Here you'll find insights into Oklahoma agriculture from West Area Specialists employed by Oklahoma State University Extension. Their perspectives come from assisting county educators and producers in the areas of agronomy, animal science, and economics. Thank you for joining us. Welcome back to the Extension Experience Podcast. My name is Trent Malachik. Josh Bashong. And I'm Dana Zook. Today, we have Rick Nelson with us. He's joining us for another edition of our Educator Spotlight series. Rick is the Garfield County Ag Educator. And Rick, you have a long story in Extension that goes to a place that I don't, I'm not usually too fond of up north, <laughs> but do you want to... You know, we'll kind of help you along here, but you kind of want to go over how you got started in extension and kind of your timeline as to how you've gotten to where you are now. I'm probably going to tell you things you're going to just be dismayed about because I have no orange in my pedigree. That and that's a, okay. I've got some red dabbled uh, around. It's really not okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I uh, went to Panhandle State University for a four-year degree in animal science and ag business and double major kind of thing a hundred years ago and I didn't have any place to go and there was a district director showed up from southwest Kansas that interviewed me and offered me a job and I thought what the heck that's that was closer to home than Goodwill was to home so I took a job in southwest Kansas for 13 years I uh, was in in Clark County Ashland Kansas and and I learned a lot K-State Extension, right? K-State Extension. Yes, Mm ma'am. You say you learned a lot. What what types of things did you learn? Well, I I was not an agronomist. I will make that clear. uh, And there was some agronomists there that uh, held my hand and taught me a few things. There was an old research station in Mineola at the time. That's probably way before Josh. But there was a Southwest Kansas experiment field and a little old German from uh, Northeast Kansas, Marvin Lundquist. He was a bachelor, and that's all he did was take care of that 160-acre research farm, and he kind of held my hand and took me under his wing to teach me what he thought I needed to know. So that's where I got my agronomy training, Josh, so that's what ruined me right there. He <laughs> he was a corn farmer and a bean farmer and a sorghum farmer, and he couldn't understand why he couldn't get everybody in southwest Kansas to do that. Well, you got to start somewhere. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> So was there a lot of irrigation in that area or very little. Very little. Very little. We were we were below down off the Arkansas River uh, drainage. So no, there wasn't much irrigation. Okay. You mentioned you're closer to home. Where do you originally call yeah, home? Yeah, that's true. I I did was an Oki or I am an Oki. I grew up uh, Blaine County, northern Blaine County, went to public school in Canton, that general area. So that's where I started in then moved west just because they offered to pay a little of my bills. So that's why I went to Panhandle State. I made that more attractive. Yeah. So what did you hope you were going to do with that degree? You said you didn't know what you wanted to do, but. Oh, I, I really didn't. I I always craved a feed yard job of some kind, work for the commercial cattle feeding industry, but it just never came along for me at any particular time, so. Hmm. Well, you probably ended up okay. I, I mean, stuck in education. Well, like I've drove a feed truck for a couple summers and I don't know. It's okay, but it gets kind of old. Yeah, that's that's it would, but yeah. Uh, 
It's good though. That's what I had, had dreamed for. Didn't 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 materialize. So what got you out of Kansas? We were. History says that Kansas was has battled budgets and county budgets, and they were doing their first round of extension districting, putting counties together. And uh, Clark County was a county that that had budget issues. They 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 were just struggled with with budgeting, and an opportunity came up. And uh, believe it or not, uh, another old. I hate to call him a mentor, but uh, in Beaver County, I was down to the Beaver County pig sale in the spring, and John Bisco was the ag agent, and he said he'd just taken a job, and he was moving, and it was going to be open in Beaver. And I thought, that's further from home, but I've always I always loved the Panhandle. I mean, I really enjoyed living mm-hmm. out there. Even when I went to college, I mean, I went out there and stayed. I never hardly went home. Uh, so I thought that's because you didn't want to work on the farm. Yeah, that could be true too. <laughs> that could be true. But uh, so I I made the effort and made application and eventually uh, got hired on. I mean, it wasn't a, a snap move. I mean, I put 13 years in in Kansas. I mean, that was a pretty good first step, I thought, Trent. Mm-hmm. You think? And then uh, my district director there, he couldn't believe I was moving and. He thought he said, "I can find you a better place if you really want to stay in extension." He, but anyhow, I it, he was too late by then. I'd already told he told the the district director down here I'd come this way. So anyway, and then in forty years, I've been with Cooperative Extension Service. Just a few months past that, right now, in Kansas and in Beaver County, and and finally here in Garfield County. I'm just a slow learner to to make that big circle to get back closest I've ever been to home right now. Yeah. You said that you first learned agronomy there in Kansas, but do you know you're a certified crop advisor? Yeah. When, when that happened? Oh, that happened right off the bat when Dr. Gordon Johnson, he came out and told us ag educators that we weren't going to be smart enough to pass the CCA test. Yeah. <laughs> that was a pretty good challenge for a lot of us. <laughs> I can see you would be challenged to, and, uh, to prove him wrong. And, and, he, and he was right, Josh. I didn't pass the uh, the state portion the first time. I did have to take the state portion of that twice, but I, I passed it the second time. But uh, Well, you don't have to admit that part. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, but I, I he wasn't he wasn't fully right, but he I, he did offend me when he said he didn't think that there was ag educators would be uh, sharp enough to become CCAs, and there was a lot of us that did. That's probably uh, a lost art of motivation, isn't it? I don't think you get away with doing that to people. No, <laughs> it's probably, probably not. That's true. But it sure helped you aspire to do more, didn't it? It did at that point in time. It really did. And so tell somebody who doesn't really know what that is. What is that? What 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 if that hit how did that help you in your extension career and what I'm not what did sure. that do? Oh, you're not I mean there there is some knowledge. There's an increased <laughs> I do I, I I did learn a lot. I mean I learned a lot about more of Oklahoma agriculture and that uh that's a two phase certification process, a national test which was was very broad and very uh, basic, I guess. And, and I didn't find that one hard. Some of my coworkers found that one harder than they did the state one, but most of them had worked in Oklahoma all their life and kind of understood Oklahoma agriculture. I didn't know anything about forestry, <clears throat> which was a part of it. Mm, there was things like weird. that. And, and, and I didn't know, I knew what a peanut was, but I didn't know how to, <laughs> uh, nutri- uh, fertility levels and, and, uh, 
disease issues of peanuts. I mean, I, I thought, huh, I could have been a lot more prepared for this than what I was. And I just wasn't ready for it when I got in there to take that. But, uh, but no, I've enjoyed that certified crop advisor program is, is really done more by, uh, what I consider those in the industry, the agronomists for the various co-ops or, or consulting firms. But, but it's still, it's nice to know that, that I'm maybe not quite as up to snuff as they are, but I'm close. That's good. Yeah. But you haven't always been like, they, we've got a lot of agronomy going on here, but we haven't, you haven't always been focused on the agronomy. Side, no, so. I, I'm truly, truly love my cows more than I do my, my crops. I'll have to admit to that. I'm, I, grew up on a cow calf operation and when I was uh in Beaver County I I dabbled a lot with various beef projects but uh, enjoyed feeding cattle there mm-hmm. from time to time and and that was that's where I uh, really realized how much I missed my my first desire was when I was feeding feeding a few cattle off and on at different locations but uh it's worked at a sale barn on odd days as well and, and kind of learned a little about that industry as well. Going into being well-rounded, I know when you came to Garfield, you probably upped your game on lawns and gardens. My uh, horticulture game, uh, yeah, that that is now definitely circumvented everything that I do know or do 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 is uh, the, the lawns and gardens questions, tree questions. Uh, that is... Uh, central in Garfield County and not just for Enid, but I'm just basically that this is the go-to place for homeowners, yard folks, uh, regardless of your address in Garfield County, you get a lot of them. I remember when I first came, Roger Gribble said, uh, he said there, he said, and I came in October. He said by spring, he said, now you just be prepared. You'll have one in your office. You'll have two sitting in the lobby and probably two or three outside waiting to get in to talk to you about their specific, uh, their specific problem. And he said, and the funny thing is, they may all be the same question, but you can't get them all in there at the same time. Cause they all have a different part of the plant. They yes. Want to you, that's right? true. <laughs> <laughs> and and one thing that you have to like better now than than I remember years ago is man the phone the uh, iPhone has just revolutionized the ability to answer questions because I can take a picture of a sick vinca and send that to plant pathology and more times than not have an answer the next day whereas uh, before iPhones and pictures I mean th- those kind of things took two weeks. And you, uh, a lot of times you'd send the plant and, you know, they'd have to look at it and maybe culture something. But but nowadays, man, things are so much, it, it doesn't work that way always, but a lot of times you can get an answer for a, for a customer the next day. That brings up an interesting topic on how extension has changed. You you walked right into that one. Yes, being, I did. Being here for a long time. <laughs> it, it, but I, I do want to point out one thing, and this, this goes back to Kansas, Trent. When, and, and you guys are all going to probably roll here with laughter. I remember when fax machines were introduced to county <laughs> extension offices. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But at my district director at the time said, oh, they're never going to have a place. We're never going to use them. <laughs> you know, and it wasn't within five years we were working on uh, uh, computers, mm. but uh, I, I never forgot that when my district director said, oh, they'll, 
Yeah, you don't need to worry about that. There's never going to be a place for a fax machine. machine. Wasn't quite a visionary, was he? Yeah, he wasn't. <laughs> he was not. A, a, a great guy, but uh, he missed that call for sure. <laughs> but that is the hard part. You're never going to predict exactly what's going to happen. It's how you adapt once you get into the middle of it that really tells you how the organization is going to evolve and, and succeed. But I'm just curious, what era of extension have you enjoyed the most? In enjoyment, I mean, I I have yet, you know, I, I know I get grumpy from time to time. Just a little bit. <laughs> Just a little bit. I've seen your itis. That could be. But, you know, I, I don't know. I stay and I continue because I, I still continue to uh, to learn a few things. And I, and I enjoy helping people. Uh, like I said, some people are, it seems like people now are, are, are so much more, intense that, uh, you know, you talk, I talked about having one day answers and, and they're still not happy with that. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that, the intensity is, is more than what I really enjoy, but, uh, I still enjoy the, when you get to help someone and answer a question and they're very appreciative and very thankful, uh, man, that, that, that makes my day. I mean, that just, you know, I've, I've done what I'm paid to do and, and left with happy customers, I guess, or clients, however you want to describe folks. I hope you can take, like, I think some of us probably can attest to that, but I hope that you take those cool, great opportunities home with you at the end of the day, every day. Cause I think sometimes I focus in on those bad ones. <laughs> you might have four good, good ex- experiences with clients. And then that one that you didn't make so happy, you take that one home with you that night. <laughs> I don't know. But I think that's human nature. I mean, I've, I, I can recount those and, and I find myself doing that for all my career, wherever I was, the ones that, that I'm ashamed about and stick my head down is I'll think of one of those, like you just described Mm -hmm. where I really slipped up and didn't get it right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but there's been, I don't know, more than I could ever recall that were great experiences, but the ones I tend to mostly rebring back are those that I failed at. Well, it's a, it's a service sort of job, right? Yeah. And not all service was sweeper ride or, you know, to that, to that level. So I think that's good advice for new educators though, is you're going to do things wrong. You're going to do things well, uh, knowing who to call on, having a peer group that you can rely on has probably been very important in your past in, in terms of getting those questions answered. Absolutely. Uh, man, without a doubt, my problem now is I'm, I'm about to run out of those. <laughs> uh, You've become that for I've other be- people. I've become that and I, and I do get a few calls from others and then I, I, I enjoy that and I appreciate that, that I am looked at as someone that can help them answer a question from time to time. We, we strive in extension and, and it, it, we all do. I mean, if we have been at it more than five years, I think we're all there to help people. Uh, that's that's what we're there for, and we, we believe we can, and, and we keep trying. How's that? Mm-hmm. And if we miss a step in the way, and we we like to think, man, I'm going to get that right next time. So uh, that's that's why I keep coming back and keep doing it year after year. Yeah, I know you kind of dabble in everything. You're expected to be kind of a jack of all trades, and sometimes you specialize more and you have more answers in those certain topics. But also balancing the different clientele from the cow-calf operator to the crop producer to the homeowner with his garden issues to 4-H'ers. How do you balance all the different facets? Wow. The balance is, uh, is, is you have to make them all feel like when, when they all come in the same day, you have to make them all feel like they're the one. 
That's a fact, in in my opinion. I don't have as much 4-H responsibility here in Garfield County that I've had previously, but I do have quite a bit of interaction with 4-H and FFA members through the livestock shows at the county and district level. So I wanted to say it's evolved in such a way here, whether it's a master gardener or a homeowner or a crop producer or a livestock producer, you, you have to make them feel like when they come in that you have to focus. I mean, I can't be, and I catch myself, you know, I, you know, you need to go do a nitrate test on this st- stock of, of Sudan, mm-hmm. but they want to tell a story and I'm wanting to go do that, but you st- just have to stop and let them tell their story and then go do what they want. And if you do that for everybody, it makes me feel like I'm more relating to them. But at the same time, I know from some people's standpoints, it makes you think, God, he's, he's sure inefficient. It takes him longer to do that than what it should. <laughs> but but at the same time, there is just kind of a, a balance that you have to find that lets you meet the people's needs as well as uh, get get your job done. I found it's useful when people start telling stories. I start thinking about how I'm going to answer what they really want to know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> then sometimes I, I get accused of not paying attention because I'm probably not listening to what they're saying <laughs> in their story, trying to think about how I'm going to answer their their actual question, the reason they came in. Yeah. But Rick, you haven't talked very much about, you know, you're probably your passion, which is your cow herd. Oh, that's all I, you and I seem to ever talk well, about. What we ever talk about? Yeah, I when I was in Beaver, one of my last escapades there. When I I don't know how that worked out, but uh, my dabblings, I because uh, t- t- Dana's always intrigued by that comment that I I acquired at the, at the local auction thirteen half blood Holstein heifers as three hundred pound calves one day, <laughs> with the intent, you know. I'm going to make cows out of them. I don't know what I'm going to do with them, but I'm going to do that. And uh, so that was the beginning of what I, I pr- always promoted to those that knew me as my Dairy Queens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that uh, was quite a, I had not been in the cow-calf business for 20 years. I mean, I'd, when I was in that Kansas, I fed a few cattle. And and, uh, and, and so, man, it was just kind of an interesting occupation. But to take those half-blood Holstein heifers and these half-polled Hereford, so they were either looked like a black baldy or a red baldy. And uh, and they were out of season, of course. They were July or August calves, and so I didn't have them big enough to breed one year, so I carried them over another year. And, man, they were, they've been an integral part of my, uh, my beef cow experience because uh, I kept them around and grew them up, got them bred, and I sent them to my son who had a – has a farm ranch in Harper County, and they spent four or five, six years there, maybe more, maybe eight. And then uh, when when I had the opportunity or the the situation arose, and I took over some of some Blaine County land where where my father had operated, I brought them down there. And uh, so my cow herd is basically uh, I have 110 cows, and I'll bet. I'll bet half of them are Dairy Queen influenced, and it's made a real difference in observations. And the and the, most people cringe at a milk cow base, but I've never had any of those uh, production issues, utter issues mm-hmm. with the Dairy Queens. I had one early on that did have milk fever, and I did not save her because she was just too productive. But that was a long time ago. But uh, one thing I noticed now is Dana. I had an unfortunate episode this summer where I lost some cows. And I thought, what am I going to do? I got four orphan calves out on this 40 head of cows now. 
And uh, the interesting thing was, I can't, I, I know which calves they are because they are all ear tagged. They were off first calf heifers, but you can't tell it by looking at them because these, these cows that come from the Dairy Queen influence, when they stop, they may have three calves nursing them. They don't care what calf nurses them. They just, they just kind of stand there and let it all happen. So you, you can't so cool. find my orphans because they, they're just as fat as all the rest That's of them. That's great. So, so you and I have talked a lot about uh, what Dave Lawman talks about, about cow size, how much influence we've talked about from that has been put on milking ability. So have you seen, do you feel like you have cows that just really consume more feed? I mean, I don't think you do. I don't think you've seen those high maintenance type cows from that per- situation, but you would expect. I, I would say that the original half bloods were they were they were definitely higher maintenance, but I, I tended to use a, a real moderate being being one that liked to feed cattle. I wanted moderate frame, a lot of muscle, and, and a lot of shape, and milk wasn't an issue. So every time I saved a daughter or granddaughter or a great granddaughter now. They they don't have any higher requirements. Mm-hmm. I think they but but they still have that temperament, and they they still seem to have an. A, I hate to say that because that gets us in trouble. Above average milk production ability, which at times is not good. But but uh, there's times like this season on that one particular pasture of cows. I've really appreciated that fact that I was able to do that and not have to figure out what I was going to do. But you. I mean, are very successful on a lot of love grass. Yeah, I try to of- do some intense management on that, and it, and I don't know, it, it seems to work, but uh, it, I could do better. I will put it that way. Uh, there's, there's incorporating farm ground into a beef cow operation, and and only dependent on Mother Nature's rain supplement is mm-hmm. is a, is difficult because even this year, uh, you, you we were getting up to a point of time before the rain season hit. This year that I was within two weeks of, of going into drought management and having to sell some some stock, whether it had been cows or calves in, in June. And I mm-hmm. I didn't want to do it, but I was I was making the plan to get it done. But and then you, it started to rain. You also do burning. You, yes. You do a lot of burning yeah. as a net management tool, if you want to talk just a little bit about that. True. Uh, it's springtime. Burning love grasses. Uh, and, and when I was in the panhandle, we would burn a lot of old world blue stem. And so it, it didn't feel unnatural to me uh, to burn. And love grass is, is a very coarse, fibrous grass that uh, it takes a really good set of teeth for a cow to eat. So old cows and young cows don't don't do well on it. But you burn it, uh, a little fertilizer and a little weed control. And the weed control is probably the least necessary. And, and man, it, when you if you can get on it and stay on it and graze it, you're great. I've rotated off into a, where I've made hay out of it once and then then put the cows back on it. And I have to say it's not working as well because the grass is getting too tough. Uh, I'm going to have to go back and graze it early. And and if I have to hay it later, I may have to hay it later. But I haven't, haven't got that sorted out yet for a final answer. That just goes back to we're constantly learning. And yes. You always have more to say than you think you do. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> we could- We've got a lot of experience in our organization and encourage younger producers or producers that have other questions just to reach out to their fellow educators. But Rick, that's that's been a wrap for us today. That's great. And we've gotten a lot out of you. I think we've learned a lot about you. And I'm sure we'll have you back again soon to talk about some other items. But with that, we really appreciate our audience joining us. And we'll see you next time. 
We hope you've enjoyed what you've heard. If you would like to hear more or follow up on the discussed topics, please reach out to your local county extension agent. OSU has a presence in all 77 counties with the educators eager to assist you. Also, please consider checking the description for links to our social media pages and further information pertinent to the conversation. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you soon.